Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. Amen. Acts chapter 18, I'll begin with verses 1 and 2. And it's interesting when you come out of Acts 17 because Paul is there in Athens. You've got all this idol worship and they had all these like foreign gods and small g gods and deities that they worshiped. And he, he, he talked about the unknown God and shared the gospel with them. Everywhere he goes, there's something going on. God is writing a new story. The script is different, right? So he leaves Athens, the scripture says, and he went down to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, who had re- uh, recently arrived there from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. All right, so your story matters. Today we meet out of the gate Aquila and Priscilla, this husband and wife. Uh, They had been kicked out of Italy. Uh, There was religious persecution going on at that time. Uh, All the Jews were pretty much being driven out, even Jews that had placed their faith in Messiah Jesus, completed Jews we would call them. And so when they arrive in Corinth, I want you to hear this. They're starting over. They're somewhat homeless. They're refugees. They're in a new place around new people that they don't know. And, 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 and I'm telling you, if you're like me, uh, I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy new challenges and new places. But if you're like Barb's, you don't. <laughs> she, she, she wants things to be a little more consistent. And most people I know hate being disrupted, taken to a new place, having to meet new people, uh, having to get to know people's story, you know, you know, and this is where they're at. I mean, this is a real, uh, a real situation and scenario going on, if you will. And so they're starting over and our, our introduction to who they are starts with disruption and chaos. But the good news is God was writing a new story for his glory that they didn't even know anything about. So a lot of times, Kara, when God moves us from one place to the next and we get to wherever we're at, it's like, I don't even know what to do here. And a lot of times, you're not supposed to do anything. You're supposed to just be and trust God to lead you. And it's like, okay, Lord, what are you wanting to do? What are you leading me toward right now? And that should encourage some of you sitting in this room today. That should be a great encouragement because you may be in what you think is a hopeless situation right now. I mean, all hell's broken loose. You've had all kinds of adversity come your way. But I do believe as we anchor deep in the Lord that God wants to do something fresh and new for his glory that we haven't experienced before. And we've got to be open to it, right? I mean, you start to look at it and it's like, ah, I'm in a place right now, Tim, where life has not turned out the way I expected. I mean, I kind of wrote my uh, biographical sketch of what my life was going to be like, and I'm five years in and 10 years in and 20 years in, and it's not turning out the way I thought it was going to turn out. Maybe you come in here today and you've got some health issues and you're like, this is not the way I scripted it. Or maybe you're in a job transition right now. Maybe you were fired. Maybe, maybe you're being let go. Maybe you're entering into a new job and you're like, oh, I didn't think I'd be doing this at 45, right? I mean, maybe you're, you're just sitting here and you've been on a pity party and you're like, I, I'm just not getting the attention and 
the applause and adoration that I feel like I ought to be getting. I don't feel appreciated. That, that, that's, that's a real thing. Or maybe you were betrayed, and, and, and maybe somebody uh, really jacked with you, and, and, and maybe uh, in this betrayal you, you're in a relationship right now where somebody has slandered you and put you down, and you're like, man, I'm in a rough place right now. And this is speaking to many of us in this room, right? My plans have fallen apart. And, and God is wanting to write a new story. God is wanting to do exceedingly abundantly above what you can ask, think, imagine, dream of, scheme of. God is going, I, I, I'm wanting to do a fresh thing with you. That's the reason we talk about this, Rick, with Dustin and our staff, Nick. There's so many people that have been around the faith but they're about an, an, an inch deep in their faith journey, and they keep repeating in the flesh something that God originated 15 years ago, and God's going, stop. I'm wanting to do a fresh thing with you today. I'm wanting to expand your worldview. I'm wanting to expand your mind. I'm wanting to, to write a new chapter that's never been written. You, you think that where you're at is a lost cause, and it's hopeless, but I, I I want you to know that I'm a God of fresh starts. I'm a God of grace and second chances and, and a third chance and a fifth chance and a hundredth chance. I, I want you to know, I want you to trust me. And so this is where he's at. Uh, this is where Priscilla and Aquila, if you will, this husband and wife, this is where they're at. And if you pick up verse three, it says that Paul lived with them and Paul did life with them. They were tent makers. Many believe that the word tent maker in that day uh, implied that they were leather workers. They did something working with leather. It has come to be uh, defined as a metaphorical term that means that you're doing mission work or ministry work, but you're not leaning into others uh, to support you. It means that you're bivocational. When people say, hey, we're tent makers today, that, that's what it means. But after a year and a half, when you study this text, they were together with Paul, and then Paul is going to leave Corinth, and he's going to go down to Ephesus, and Priscilla and Aquila go with him. And they even would leverage their home, if you will, for a church plant. I mean, they're a fascinating couple. So here's what I would say, and I would write this down. God uses ordinary people with real-life struggles to share the greatest hope, and greatest news known to man. God uses people like you and I who have struggled, who have had our lunches handed to us, who have gotten our tails kicked at times to say, I'm going to use you in the midst of this struggle to extend my love and hope to other people. When you look at Aquila and Priscilla, I mean, they're a powerful, just a great example of just being available. And, and if there's one thing I've learned over the years is just be available. It's been said that availability without accountability, or should I say, uh, uh, when, when you've got skills and all this stuff, when, when you don't make it available and you're not accountable and responsible, you become a liability to the kingdom. It's like you've got ability, but you haven't made it available. And you're not accountable. And you're not responsible. I want to do something with you, but you, you put guardrails around me. That, that's what we find with them. Their passion for Christ and their hunger for knowing God to find who they were. Let me, get, let me give you some things that I think we can take away if we look at the life of Aquila 
and Priscilla. Here's some takeaways. One, I would tell you this. Extend hospitality, especially to believers. Extend hospitality. I'll break it down. But I heard a comedian not long ago say that hospitality is making guests feel at home even when you wish they were. Right? It's like, hey, man, this dude, I, I'm going to be hospitable. I'm going to make this, these guests feel at home right now. But, man, I wish they were. I, I, I wish they were out of my house. But hospitality defined in, in a biblical sense is love of strangers. That's what the word means. And in Paul's day, any person that was not a family member, parenthetically speaking, was labeled a stranger. Oh, they're, they're strangers. They're not part of our uh, family. And so when you start to look at it, it's like hospitality is when us, God's people, love other people that are different than us. And every person I meet is different than me. Hospitality is when you extend care, compassion, love, generosity to other people for the honor and glory of God. That's hospitality. And when you study it, hospitality uh, involves three things. It involves food, it involves a place of lodging, and it involves protection. Don't miss this. Food, lodging, and protection, which means come, let's eat. Come, let's rest. Come, we're going to create a space for you where you can find healing. That is what this church is about here. Come, let's eat and digest the Word of God. Come, let's break bread, even physical food, together. C come, let's rest in the Lord. Come, let's find a place of healing. We've had a revolving door over the years with the way we do life. We had a young man live with us for a while, for a couple of years. But he lived with us and... Uh, he, he became like a son to me. One morning I wake up, I like getting up early in the morning, and uh, this one morning I'm out, I grab my iPad, grab my Bible, and uh, I'm just going to go sit in my favorite spot on my sofa and spend some time just in word and prayer. But when I get out there, all of a sudden I don't realize anybody else is in the room. And I'm starting to read, and we've got this green chair. We've still got this green chair, and this green chair is my buddy's favorite chair that we've got. And he was curled up in this chair sleeping. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Because just out of nowhere, he goes, good morning, Tim. And I'm like, what, 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 are you, what are you doing here? I love this chair. This chair is comfortable to me. So he and I began this conversation. And uh, while we're talking, I looked at him because he stayed with us. And uh, this has become somewhat home for him. But I looked at him that morning and I said, I got a question for you based on what you're talking about with some of the disruption and pain in your life. Would you rather live with your mom or would you rather live with your dad? His parents were divorced. And he looked at me and he said, with tears in his eyes, the real question is, would I rather be punched or would I rather be kicked? I was like, that's heavy. And then he goes on to say, honestly, I would rather be here. He would end up taking a job and going out of town. And the last night he was in town before he would move way out of state. 
He stayed with us. He's like, I want to stay with y'all. And uh, recently, he sent this note to Barb, just in the last few weeks. And he says, I was praying this morning, and God gave me a thought of perspective. Your faithfulness to the Lord turned your home, which could have been just for your family only, it turned your home into a hospital for people like me to be admitted in and healed. I cannot express my gratitude to y'all enough. We love you, and our kids will grow up respecting your generosity to the Lord. We want to do the same. You, you can't put a price tag on hospitality. Come, let's eat. Come, let's rest. Henry Nowen said, hospitality is not to change people, but it's to offer them space where change can take place. Hospitality is not come here and we will change you. It's just to offer space where people can be changed. The truth is, as we do life, people may forget what you say. People may even forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. We have a thing hanging in our whatever room it's called, the sunroom or whatever we would call it. And it's a quote by Eugene Peterson that says, stories are verbal acts of hospitality. Why do we say your story matters? Why do we believe it is absolutely essential for people to sit around and to get to know other people's stories? When Barb came to us, Kara, over a year ago and said, I've got this vision. I believe if we created something called come to the table where four or five couples could just come together and we will eat and we will breathe and rest and we will share our story and other people will share their story, I believe that would foster an environment and culture where healing could take place, where maybe people would start to feel some healing in their own soul, where they can start to heal in their relationship with Christ, and where others can find healing. And I'm like, ah, oh, that is so right on. And as we launched that and people sat around the table, we saw that. It's like, what do you do? Well, I'm not a good cook. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, 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 I'm not good at, do you have a home? Are you willing to open your home? Aquila and Priscilla were willing to, to just open their home. They would end up even planning a home church just because they were available to open their home. Can I tell you, you've got neighbors and you've got people around you that are hurting, that are hopeless, that are starving for direction. And it's like, hey, why don't you just come and let's me and you hang and let's just sit down and get to know each other. Your words maybe carry some weight, but your care is going to carry so much more. When you offer compassion, it's amazing. That's a takeaway we get from Aquila and Priscilla. Another thing I would tell you is they were faithful just in serving the Lord. Not in titles. They didn't need recognition. They just said, hey, man, we're here to serve others. We just want to see others built up in their faith. We want to see others disciple. We want to see others grow. And even Paul gets to the end of his life, 
And he writes these pastoral epistles to a guy by the name of Timothy. And as he's writing these things out, he's like, man, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. I've really fought the fight. I've really kept the faith. I've tried to finish this thing well. And that last epistle that he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 as we have it, Timothy is pastoring in Ephesus. And do you know what Paul says in that letter? Hey, make sure you greet Aquila and Priscilla for me because they've been faithful in serving the Lord. I mean, we take verses like, all scripture is inspired by God. That's a good, that's a good verse in that. Oh, study to show yourself approved. Aquila and Priscilla get ink. Hey, make sure you tell Mama Kay. And make sure you tell Sandra. And, and make sure you tell them I said hello. And tell them I'm thankful that they were faithful in serving the Lord. I don't know what Paul's life would have been like without a Priscilla and an Aquila in his life. Here's another thing I would say. What do you learn from them? I would say I learned that God uses difficult circumstances to advance the gospel. It's usually when things are tough, when we're having to press in, when things, our rhythms have been disrupted. He's like, I want to use you. Here's five things I wrote down, right? Because I think about when our emotions start to run wild, and all this pressure is coming on us and we feel overwhelmed i think about this the first instinct for most humans is to grab the wheel and say i'm taking control again but reality is if we look in the rear view at our previous track record of grabbing the wheel it's not too good it's not too good so what kind of things can we do in the midst of difficulty i would say just stop and think this Remember the faithfulness of God over the years in your life. Remember how God has been faithful to you spiritually, relationally, socially, financially. It is so good to journal the faithfulness of God. God, when, when we moved or when I transi uh, transitioned into this job or when th this was going on, you were faithful. You carried me, you led me, you supported me. And I would tell you, write this stuff down. The second thing I would tell you is stop and evaluate the choices that you're making right now. When all hell breaks loose, I'm telling you, it's easy to become subjective and to become emotional driven. Oh, this is going on. I've got to sell this. I've got to do this. We've got to, and, and if we're not careful, we make impulse choices that can jack with our lives. And God is saying, hey, stop evaluate what choices you need to make right now are they being driven out of emotion your own strength or are you really combing through the scripture trying to find hope evaluate your choices the third thing i would say is make sure you have a strong support group around you the fallacy of reasoning is to think i can do it on my own so many lone rangers have gone to an early grave because they didn't have a strong support group it's like who keeps me grounded in truth who encourages me am i in a strong community i got a phone call from a dude yesterday and he said hey man one of my buddies got arrested on friday and i'm like really yes 
got arrested and he laid out what the charges were and I'm like that's jacked up that's way messed up he goes he bailed and they were able to bail him out I'm gonna, I'm gonna go hang out with him and I prayed for this brother before he went over there but he made this statement to me he said we used to do ministry together I said really he said we did he said we were in a church years ago together and we both got frustrated hurt whatever disappointed and he said they have not been to church in the last six or seven years they isolated can I tell you the enemy will pick you apart the enemy will pick me apart the enemy loves to see us isolate an idle mind is the devil's workshop but it's usually not idle it's usually thoughts that he's just like bombarding you with you have a right to do this you have a right you're justified in this behavior can I tell you man I need a strong support group I've got to stay next point is I've got to stay founded and grounded in biblical truth I've got to know what thus saith the Lord I want to know the word I want to hide the word in my heart when I do that Man, it exposes motives. It exposes so much about where I'm at. Am I staying sincere in the faith? Am I really running well today with you, Lord? Am I staying true? And the last thing I would tell you is manage what you can control and leave the rest of it to God. The problem for most of us is we try to manage things that is not in our control. The majority of things that will happen today are out of my control. I can manage my attitude. But most of this stuff, when I'm driving down 81, heading back home today or wherever I'm going, I can't control what somebody else does. You've got to let it go. So we can learn a lot from Aquila and Priscilla. Picking up the text, verse 5, Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia. Paul spent all his time preaching the word, all his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was Messiah. But when they opposed him and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his sandals and his clothes and said, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'm going to preach to the Gentiles. Listen to me here. That is an interesting phrase. Hey, your blood be on your own heads. I was never taught to share that with anyone when I went out to share the gospel or that they rejected me. Just say, hey, your blood be on your own heads. That was not an evangelism class I took. But what that phrase literally means is this. You are accountable and you are responsible for rejecting Jesus and refusing to submit to the word. I want you to know that I can walk away with my hands and my heart clean knowing that I'm not going to share in the guilt and condemnation that you live in because I've shared truth with you. What he is basically saying is, I do not have the ability to change any person on this planet. I do have a responsibility and an obligation to go out and share the gospel with every person I meet. I'm going to share the good news with you, but my resolve is, what you do with it is not in my is not in my hands and i think a lot of times we feel like failures when we share the word of god with other people and they don't respond and they don't repent and they don't get it right we walk away going well what did i do wrong 
this is the most rock star of all the apostles here and people rejected the gospel that he shared Paul would even write later where he says I am innocent of the blood of all for I did not shrink down back down from declaring to you the whole counsel of God hey guys I, I promise you I love you Paul would even pray and we read part of his prayer in Romans 10 where he says I wish that I myself were accursed and separated from God for the sake of my fellow Jews and kinsmen. I want you to get the gospel. I mean, I, mean I, I want you to get it. So Paul was not like just brash and harsh and mean and, and condescending. I want y'all to get it, but all I can do is share with y'all. I, I can't force you to respond. And you've got family members and friends right now that your heart's breaking over. I do. And I wish they would get it. I, I've shared with them. But they have a will. And they have a choice. The scout that signed me to my first professional contract, I love this dude. He signed me. And he and I ended up spending a, a, all summer together. He ended up managing the team I was playing on my first year with the Astros. About 10 years later, 10 years later, Barb and I have moved back to Georgia. This dude is on the northwest side of Atlanta, and he's in hospice care, and he's on dialysis. And I'm like, I got to go share with him. His liver was shutting down. His kidneys were shutting down. He was a raging alcoholic. I mean, there was so much cirrhosis and things happening. And I remember I went over, and I walked in, and he was like, oh, I'm so glad to see you. I said, I'm so glad to see you. Man, you're tanking, man. Your body is shutting down. And we shared a few stories, and I said, let me share with you something. There's not many more days you probably got on this planet, and you're about to enter into eternity. And you know, I've shared with you, man, how Christ has changed my life. How, how God, man, I came to the conclusion that God loves me. Jesus had died for me. The blood that was shed would cleanse me of all sin. That that's true about you and the Lord wants to bring about healing in your soul right now man if you would be willing to repent and confess Christ ah, God would save you and he looked at me with this IV and this dialysis going on and he goes cash that's not for me it's not for me I hung out with a dude I go out and sit down in my car and I'm wiping tears I'm like Lord he's gonna bust eternity wide open and spend his eternity in hell he's about to bust hell wide open he's, he's gonna be alienated and separated from you forever because of his refusal of the gospel and I felt such a sense of urgency, like, I've got to share with this guy. I've got to share with this friend. I've got to share with this family member. i got to. I don't want their blood being on my hands. I get to tell them about where hope and peace and joy and redemption and salvation can be found. i got to share it. Do you live with that sense of urgency? Who's in your life right now? And you go, if they were to die today, they would bust hell wide open. 
And I believe God is calling us to be the hands and feet of Jesus so that we go, I'm going to share with you where I'm at. I'm going to share with you what God has done in my life. People's eternity is, is at stake. This is sobering for me, reading through. This chapter is, no, verses 9 through 11. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He says, hey, uh, Paul, don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. I'm with you. And no one will attack you or harm you, for many in this city belong to me. I'm calling these people to me. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching the word of God. Hey, Paul, don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Hang loose. Corinth was a place that was known for wealth, abundance, prosperity, but it was a place of immorality. This big temple of Aphrodite was there. They bragged that they had over a thousand sacred prostitutes affiliated with her. This place was corrupt in so many ways. Even if you are a student of Scripture, you will realize that Paul wrote two letters in detail to them, two of the longest letters in the New Testament, to help them with all the corruption that was going on in their lives. And so in this vision, with all of the attack and opposition that he had going on, the Lord said, Paul, do not be afraid. Don't empower your fears. Don't be scared to stand in the gap, Paul. Paul, face your fears. Just face them. And, and courage is not the absence of conflict and confrontation and fear. It's facing them and obeying God in the midst of it. I'm, I'm going to keep honoring God. See, your focus will always determine your freedom. And your freedom hinges on who and what you empower to define you. Don't be afraid. And then he tells him, speak up. Do not be silent. Tell the truth. Speak the truth in love. You've got to speak into this space. We love the quote from St. Francis, right? Hey, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. But some people have taken that to the nth degree and never use words. Hey, Paul, don't be afraid. Speak up. Tell the truth. Share me. Share the gospel. Your story matters, but my story matters and tell my story. Share the gospel. Are you afraid? Are you speaking up? Then he goes on to say, I'm with you and I'm going to protect you. What do we know about his life? He was constantly beaten. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. All this opposition came his way. He goes, they're not going to kill you. Okay? In this world, you'll have trouble. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Keep grinding it out. Stay faithful to me. And some of us need to hear that today. I believe the word of the Lord even to us today is do not be afraid. Don't empower all these fears. Speak up. Share who I am. I am in control. I'm not going to leave you. My story matters. And I'm going to use you to share my story with other people. So go, go do it. The text. This is an interesting chapter. Verse 24, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well. He had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria. He had been taught the way of the Lord. He taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, 
However, however, he only knew about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila, remember how they want to build people up in their faith? Remember how hospitable they are? Remember how caring they are? When Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Here's another dude whose story matters, Apollos. He was from Alexandria. They had the largest Jewish population in Alexandria of that time. The dude's got strong Jewish roots. When you read about Alexandria, it was known for its intellectual powers, great philosophical thought. They had raised up so many even debaters there, much like Athens where Aristotle and Socrates and Plato come from. Alexandria was a well-educated place. It was known even as the capital of knowledge and learning. That's where this dude comes out of. And so words ascribed to Apollos are words like he was eloquent. He was a wordsmith. He knew how to package his phrases. He was enthusiastic. He had some charisma and passion about him. He was a learned man. He was a very smart dude. Probably had a very, very high GPA, if you will. And he had a knowledge only of the Old Testament. When we pick him up, he was familiar with the promises and prophecies that were made about the Messiah. But all he knew was up to the point of John the Baptist's baptism. And the baptism of John the Baptist was this ceremonial cleansing uh, that was used for Jews to be welcomed into the Jewish faith as they looked for the Messiah. Remember, John the Baptist came on the scene saying, make straight the way of the Lord, repent, for the Lord is coming. So Apollos, all he knew up until this point regarding Christ was prophecies and promises regarding the Messiah, but he, he didn't know anything else. And you know what he did? As we look at his life, he teaches us something. Share what you know. Just share what you know. What do you know? This is what I know so far. I think I know pretty much everything there is to know so far. He didn't, but he shared what he knew. And if I learned anything from that, especially being around church people, I have so many people tell me, Tim, I've got this fear of witnessing. Well, welcome to the club. All of us start there. Any person that has ever shared their faith started with a fear of sharing their faith. I'm scared to do this. Any person that's ever shared their testimony and recovery for the first time started with a fear of, I'm scared, I'm nervous. Which implies this. I, I, I just don't know enough, Tim. I'm not a Bible scholar. I, I don't have all this theology in me. I, I, I don't know any, I, I don't know enough. Here's what you know. What you know. Share it. Get rolling. Well, all I know is Jesus saved me and he loves me. Then go tell somebody that. What do you know? I know I was a hellion man, hell-bent on just doing whatever I wanted to do. And I met Christ three weeks ago. And all I know is he is starting to change me. Really? You know that? Then go share it. I, I, I don't know anything else. I only know John 3, 16. Go share it. That's enough to get rolling. If you know one verse, share it. If you know two, share it. I think a lot of times we put parameters around God using us, 
because we empower what we don't know instead of leveraging what we do know. What do you know? This is what I know. I got saved in October of 1985. Like, this will be 37 years of walking with Jesus. I get saved in October of 1985. I go to spring training. I'm still in baseball at that time in 1986. All of a sudden, the minor league director for the Houston Astros, Cash, I need to see you. Like, yes, sir. Go up to meet with him. He goes, what happened to you? Like, what do you mean what happened to me? You're one of the three hardest throwing pitchers we have in camp. When we signed you, you were at best a suspect. Now you've turned into a prospect. What happened to you? What happened to me? I gave my life to Christ in October. I was a hellraiser. I drank like a guppy. But I met Jesus, man. I don't know. I'm sleeping better. My body's not all toxic. I started working out. Got on a training program. What happened to me? I would just tell you it started when I met Jesus. This is when the steroid era in baseball was starting to really get traction. I'll never forget this. I mean, that's when the Consecos and all this stuff. I played against that dude in 85, 86. What happened to you? That's what happened to me. He just looked at me. I'm like, how does he respond to that? He asked me. I just told him. Because you know what had happened to me? That happened to me. Had you ever taken any classes on apologetics? I didn't even know what the word meant. Had you studied church history? No. I'm not even sure I could articulate the Old Testament book, Job or Job. I'm not that far into it. I don't know. I had a Bible that was abbreviated. I thought I was reading i and they said it's 1 Corinthians. I did not know. <laughs> Do you hear me? I'm not, this is no exaggeration. What happened? I met Jesus, dude. That's what, that's what happened to me. And I think a lot of us are afraid to be a witness because we think God has called us to be lawyers. I just want you to be my witness. A witness just tells what they saw, what they experienced. Why don't you just be my witness, okay? I want to be your witness. Here's what I believe. Listen to me, please. God will use whatever you make available to him. What do you got? This is what I got, Nathan. Great. Go share just walk in what you know today. Don't be handcuffed by what you don't know. Just walk in the freedom with me today. Another takeaway from Apollos was this. He was open to be discipled. I need to be discipled. When Aquila and Priscilla approached him, he was humble enough to realize there's a lot of areas I need to mature in. Do you know where I've grown over the years? Is the Lord saying, hey, look at this dude right here. Crawford Loritz. He knows stuff you don't know. He's hung with me longer. Why don't you ask Crawford if he would mentor you? I'm like, Crawford, would you mentor me? Yes. 
And that guy starts coaching me up. There's been so many people over the years that God goes, I want to use that person to help mentor you. When I moved to Indiana back in 1989, Larry Crabb was doing his counseling program at Grace College and Seminary. Guess where I was a student? Grace College and Seminary. Had you ever heard of Larry Crabb? No. But I'm like, this dude, man, had just released a book called Inside Out. And I started reading that. I'm like, this guy's got some insight. I need to sit here and listen to him and pay attention to what he's saying because this might help me in helping others down the road. If God's called me to minister, it probably wouldn't hurt to have a little counseling in my toolbox. It probably wouldn't hurt to have some apologetics in my toolbox. It probably wouldn't hurt to have some church history in my toolbox. It probably wouldn't hurt to have... I'm like, well, I'm just get as much as you can you've got to be open to be mentored and discipled the scripture says he allowed them listen to this to explain the way of god more accurately discipleship is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread What you got? Here's what I got. If you look at our recovery ministry and even other things going on, it's like, hey, would you, would you life coach that person right there? Would you sponsor that person? Well, I'm not where you're at. Nope. But this dude is just now jumped on the highway and he's at mile marker zero. You're at mile marker 10. That dude probably needs to go to mile marker one and two and three and to get to 10. But by the time you get him to 10, you might be at 20 because you're growing. So that's where I've lived. It's one beggar telling another beggar, here's where bread is. Why is our radical mentoring such an effective ministry that we started last year? Because guys are on ramping and being disciples some for the first time. Why is small group connection and community so important? It's because people, some for the first time, are getting involved in community. Why is being involved with this youth ministry stuff that we've got going on with cross student ministries? Why is it important to get in there? Because some of these kids are brand new to the faith. Some of these kids come from abuse and abandonment and rejection and some have said yes to jesus but they don't know the next step to take you go well, i don't know all these bible stories well learn them with them learn them with them i don't know but i'm going to learn these stories i don't know about jonah learn them with them i don't know about david and goliath learn them with them i don't know about elijah calling down fire from heaven learn them with them I'm learning this. I'm an adult. I can encourage you because I'm learning it with you. Guess what I'm doing up here? I'm learning it with you. I'm growing with you. I'm struggling with you. I'm figuring it out with you. That's what you got. Hey, I want to be discipled. Now's a great time to do it with small groups and everything else. I'll tell you the last point and then I'm wrapping. The one thing cool about Apollos was he kept 
his focus on the main thing. He shared Jesus. He didn't get sidetracked. Even all he knew was uh, the baptism of John. Guess what he was talking about? Messiah's coming. He was probably acquainted with Isaiah 53. He's coming. He's going to redeem Israel. He's coming. And then after they said, hey, 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 you, you realize he came, did public ministry for three years? No. Oh. Scared me, Gary. <laughs> you realize that? No, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Man, he did this public ministry for three years. He was very powerful in what he did. I mean, he never sinned. He was pure. Do you realize that he died a criminal's death on the cross, man, at Golgotha? This is the way it went down? No, I, 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 I didn't know that. Yeah. You realize when they placed him in the grave, he raised on the third day? Really? You realize he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he lives to make intercession for us? No way. You realize he promised his disciples that he was going to send the Holy Spirit? No way. Now he's got the full package. But he kept the focus, the main thing. And even Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 2, 2. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If I'm going to boast and brag and preach anything, it's going to be Christ. And that's, that's the challenge for us. If we take anything away from Aquila, Priscilla, even Paul's vision from the Lord, and even getting to this person, Apollos. We'll talk more about him next week. What do we take away? Share what you know. Don't be afraid. Speak up. Just be disciple. Let's keep growing together. And as God does this in our life, Richard, it is amazing that God will use ordinary ragamuffins like me and you to take his message to the world. I think I can use that old boy right there. He crawled on the altar, old Richard did, old Michael did, as a living sacrifice. He's made himself available. I think I can use him. He don't use us because we're good. We're good because he uses us. God don't love me because I'm special. I'm special because he loves me. I want to use you. I'd like to be used.